economics, statistics, and a bill that shouldn't have been amended. This is Patterns of Development. Hey everybody, it's Kyle. We're on this podcast. I share, discuss, ponder, and try to connect some dots through the best content I've discovered each week related to urban planning, architecture, and cities. This week, we're looking at a very specific case study, a very specific pattern, Council Bill 120081 in Seattle. And before we get to the bill, I'm going to add a little bit of context here. As a small, 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 small incremental developer in my community, I've been trying to figure out this affordable housing problem. In order to solve the problem, I wonder, what do you need? What do I need to understand? What do we need as a community to understand? I don't want to be like every other developer. And what do I need to understand to be part of that solution? And I think there's three things. Number one, supply and demand. Number two, area median income. And number three, the performa. Then we'll talk about how the lack of understanding between these three things is why Council Bill 120081 unfortunately won't really help. Okay, so item number one, supply and demand. Microeconomics 101, supply and demand is the relationship between sellers and buyers. If we apply that to housing, it's the people looking to own or rent. They're the ones who drive demand. And it's the developers, the flippers, the current homeowners that control and create supply. Now, typically a marketplace goes through cycles and I'm way out of my league here, but hang with me. If there's not a lot of houses in a particular location, supply is low. If suddenly a lot of people wanna move into that location, demand then is increasing, which means price increases. Eventually, one of two things should happen. Either the supply catches up, offering lower prices, or eventually demand decreases because the price point is too high and people look elsewhere. Think of any major urban area, specifically on the West Coast or in the Sun Belt. These places are experiencing huge population growth, and there just isn't enough housing being built to catch up. Thus, the price increases. Price increases then creates an affordability problem. But how do we determine what affordable means? Obviously, a two-bedroom, two-bath in Manhattan is very different from a two-bed, two-bath in Manitoba. So that leads us to point number two, area median income. The area median income is the midpoint of a region's income distribution, meaning that half of the households in the region earn more than the median and half earn less than the median. Now, now we're in Statistics 101. Remember, median is different than the mean. Median is the number exactly in the middle of a data set. The mean, or the average, is when you take all of the numbers, add them, and divide by your sample size. Median is used by regulators because it won't be skewed by a small proportion of small or large values. So, area median income is exactly the middle income for your physical area. If there's 10 households, you order them by income, you look at house number five and you say, that's your area median income. Then to determine affordability, you look at house number five and you say, that's our baseline. That's our starting point. That is directly in the middle of affordable. Typically, this is described as 100% AMI, 100% area median income. If you look at that house number five, right in the middle of your data set, and you go lower than that, that's typically where people look and say you're starting to enter affordability. And it's typically banded in increments of 20 points. So you look at 100% AMI, 80% AMI, 60% AMI, 40% AMI. The lower you go from house number five, the middle of our community, the more affordable that particular dwelling becomes. The trick, the problem is how buildings make money. And this leads us to the performa. Point number three, the performa is real estate talk for projecting a property's income. In accounting, you would call this your income statement, maybe your profit and loss statement. And there's four big sections on every performa. 
Section number one at the top, how much money do you think you'll make? This is on rent or the sale price of that particular property. Section number two, how much money will you lose between transactions? This is called the vacancy factor. How much money do you think you'll spend on construction costs or costs to operate the property? This is called OPEX for all the cool developers and that's section number three. Section number four, how much money do you have to pay back to the bank each month? This is typically called debt service. Most developers tend to leverage their cash. So there's a check that goes to the bank each month. What is that number? So you take all four of those numbers. You say the money coming in, you take out your five to 10% for vacancy. You take out your expenses, you pay the bank. And what you're left with is your money before taxes. Of course, if you're trying to solve for affordability, taking 20%, 40%, 60% off your revenue means that it probably isn't a lot of money left over. You probably don't have money to even pay the bank, which means you don't have a project, which means you don't build more housing, which means demand continues to go up which means the price to buy a home, the price to rent continues to rise. And that takes us to Seattle Council Bill 120081. I'm quoting now from an article by Natalie Booknell at urbanist.org. Seattle City Council passed Council Bill 120081, which provides a density bonus, i.e. development capacity increases to religious institutions seeking to build affordable housing on land they own or control. This legislation was primarily created and lobbied for so that churches could create homes for members of their community impacted by displacement and the skyrocketing housing costs in the Seattle area. This is Kyle again. This is actually a zoning play. We haven't talked about zoning yet. To reduce our rent to make residential dwellings affordable, the go-to strategy for developers is to include more units. More units equals more rent. And this is that top section on our performa. But it's not quite that simple. If we're going to make an exception to the rule, we need more rules to the exception. You've got to love regulation. So in order for anyone to build more units on their land, these are what development capacity increases means. The local municipality, Seattle, says, well, in order for you to do that, you need to make the housing affordable. So no problem so far. We're looking to loosen regulations in a community so we can create more affordable housing. If we're a church and we want to build affordable housing, this is great. However, On the floor, the bill was amended to change the threshold of affordability requirements from 80% AMI to 60% AMI. And the bill passed with the amendment attached. So what does this mean? 60% AMI means residential dwellings are going to be more affordable. Yes, that's great. But the problem is it reduces the amount anyone will make in the top section of their performa. And I don't know the intentions of council member Lisa Herbold, who passed the amendment or suggested the amendment, likely an effort to say... If we're going to make housing affordable, let's make it even more affordable. Herbold has effectively made it impossible for anyone to leverage this legislation. This is a perfect case study where we try to maximize affordability legislation, and it actually means no one will make the units. And it's not because they won't try, it's because it actually becomes almost impossible. The numbers just won't pencil out. As a developer, the only place you really have flexibility in your performa is in that top section. Interest rates are controlled by the feds, banks want to see vacancy rates between 5 to 10%, And when rent is significantly capped, the numbers just don't work out and no units get created, which continues to limit supply. The bill was signed into law on July 9th. Critics of the amendment are working on a repeal. What Lisa Herbold doesn't understand and what I hope you understand after this episode are three keys. Number one, affordable housing is a supply and demand issue. Any opportunity to increase supply is a good thing and should be as deregulated as possible. Number two, going too far below area median income can be a bad thing, leading to longer development times, magnifying a community's supply problem. And number three, understand how a building makes money. Rent is just one of four important pieces 
vacancy factor, operating expenses, and paying the bank are all big bills for whoever chooses to make more housing. That's all for this week, and I'll talk to you all soon. If you have any questions, thoughts, or feedback, please email me, kyle at patternsofdevelopment.com. Huge credit, huge shout out, huge thank you to Rafi Bushman, phenomenal jazz musician in London. I'm using his music as the theme for this podcast. Please go check out his new album on Spotify. It is awesome. Looking forward to next week, and I'll talk to you all soon.